On this episode of the Well Standard Podcast Season on Life, I am honored to interview Mr. John Tarnoff, who is the author of Boomer Reinvention. I've actually mentioned this book in the podcast a few times already, and I had an awesome, awesome dialogue and conversation with John. You guys are going to absolutely love it. For those of you who are uh, looking at uh, the video on uh, YouTube or on Facebook, uh, here's a picture of the, of the book. And uh, the, the subtitle is How to Create a Dream Career Over the Age of 50. Now, John spent his uh, career almost 40 years in Hollywood um, as, a, as a filmmaker and realized, uh, like uh, most do, especially those that are in very creative industries and professions, that the idea of retirement is a myth. Uh, and it, what's awesome is his book is, uh, it's, Recommended, endorsed by executives of AARP, Ariana Huffington, uh, and famous uh, film and docu- uh, documentary maker uh, John Burns, and uh, and there's others others in there as well. It's it's awesome. It's kind of a playbook for those over the age of fifty of how to take you know really what our theme is this season, which is you are your greatest asset, life. How do you take those skills, those experiences, your network, your relationships, and uh, and really uh, even retire early, but uh, at least not depend solely on savings, solely on investments uh, to, uh, to to fund your, uh, fund your retirement. And as you know, retirement to us is an absolute myth and it is anti-life in a sense. And looking at really what this uh, book gives you a playbook to do, it's to essentially use the modern economy, especially how we've been networked and do contract work through consulting work. There's so many opportunities to do meaning, meaningful work, things that you love doing, you've been trained doing 15, 20 hours on your own time, uh, not having to uh, drive that nine to five type of uh, type of full-time full-time gig. So anyway, it's uh, it was an awesome conversation. John and I see eye to eye and uh, we are definitely going to get uh, get back on the horn in the future because uh, there's just a lot more to talk about because there are 70 million people that are going to be uh, they're on the brink. The baby boomer generation is 1946 to 1964. And right now they are uh, just starting to think about that idea of retirement. This is a great way to prepare if that is you. But even if you're younger, it really goes to show you that you know our the idea behind us as our best asset is to accumulate uh, basically skill sets, accumulate talents, uh, the relationships that we have. And those essentially form the asset column uh, of the true assets, right? And uh, so that allows really the idea of leverage so that you can uh, essentially go out and on your own terms, be valuable, be productive, make money. And as I said, on your own terms is really the idea of freedom. So uh, I'm going to give a couple of these books away for sure. So if you guys would go in onto iTunes, leave us a positive review, that'd be amazing. Take a snapshot, give us uh, an email at podcast at paradigmlife.net and we will ship you out a book. We actually have about five of them. So if you'd be so kind to do that, 
I would be very, uh, very grateful. Uh, also, there is a little bit of an echo, 25 minutes, 30 minutes in, uh, just for uh, just for a few moments. And so just uh, bear, bear with us. Apologize for those uh, snafus. Sometimes technology does not cooperate with you. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys so much for your support. Thank you for listening and enjoy the interview with Mr. John Tarnoff. Welcome to the special 2018 seasons of the Wealth Standard Podcast, celebrating life, liberty, and property. You are currently listening to Life Season One. Okay, so my uh, so John, uh, welcome welcome to the show. It is really going to be a cool interview. I'm I'm I was uh, I was hesitant when I had my media guy reach out to you, and I was hoping that you would you know, do the interview because I would say you're, the book uh, Boomer Reinvention. Is there's there's not many like it out there. If I would say, if any, uh, and so I, I can't wait to kind of get into your story and you know what you do uh, for those to kind of reinvent their career, specifically for those over the age of uh, of fifty. Uh, but first off, welcome welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Patrick. It's great to be on. So let's maybe let's just start with you know giving the audience an overview of like where. Where, you, where your story is, like where, where have you come from? How did you get to the point where you're, you're actually doing this? Because it's a very different type of, I would say, career in, in a sense or value proposition. But I'd love to hear your story. Well, first of all, I just want to kind of pick up on what you were saying in the intro, which is that as far as I'm concerned, retirement as we expected it is over, right? Retirement at age 65 is a myth. Uh, I don't know, you know how we got to this point where we, we bought into it, those of us in the boomer generation. But uh, waking up at age uh, 60 and realizing that uh, the, the culture and the uh, society are telling you you're going to retire in five years is, is pretty ridiculous. When you realize that according to the Census Bureau, uh, one third of us who reach age 65 are going to be living past 90. So as you were saying before we started, you know, how can you think that you're going to save money for 30 years? That is if you've actually been saving for 30 years, which few have, mm-hmm. and expect to live another 30 on that money. So that's the framework against which we are going to carry out this conversation. And as to how I kind of had this wake-up call, it was actually completely unexpected. I had been for 35 years an executive and film producer in the entertainment industry here in Los Angeles. And most recently working at DreamWorks Animation in the 2000s. And I had always been interested in shifting my career into education. I thought that was a great way to go out, to take what I had learned over the course of my career and give it back. I thought it made a lot of sense. And I was constantly being asked to speak over the course of my career and do classes. And uh, so it was something that I really enjoyed. And after my, my career hit a wall at age 50 in 2002, uh, I had had a startup during the tech bubble. And okay. the startup went belly up in 2001 along with most- A million others, yeah. Yeah, every, everyone just you know, flipped over. And I really didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, I had this real existential crisis. I didn't feel like I wanted to go back to the kinds of executive jobs that I had done in entertainment. uh, And I really had no idea. So I decided I was going to go back to school on this idea of maybe veering into education, something along those lines. And I took 
a master's degree in counseling and spiritual psychology here in huh. Because I wanted, I didn't think necessarily I was going to be a psychologist, but I felt that at least this would give me an opportunity to know myself better and to better understand people. And perhaps something out of there would click. And sure enough, after about a year in the program, I, before I even had a chance to finish the program, I wound up finishing it um, a couple of years later. I was offered a job at, uh, at DreamWorks, this job that I had at DreamWorks. But what was interesting about the job was that it was in a very different frame. It was much more towards people and um, leadership initiatives. It was a time at the company where they were growing very quickly. They were moving from a traditional animation company to a digital animation company. I had startup experience in the technology sector. So it was a really good mix and a good timing, really, for me to, to go into that company. I had a great time there. Uh, started all sorts of education-oriented initiatives to develop the leadership and intellectual and artistic capital in the company. But then when they were shifting directions, they were kind of out of startup mode by 2008, 2009. The recession had hit. Things were changing, and we came to a parting of the ways. And it was a really interesting uh, kind of, I don't know, uh, a milestone for me because I like to dine out on the fact that I've been fired 39% of the time in my career in Hollywood. Now, in Hollywood, that's not unusual. That's not uncommon, yeah. It's a very, very unstable, uh, up and down kind of a business. But when you think about it in the rest of the economy, that's kind of a astounding number, particularly for people who were raised as, as I was to believe that you got a good education, you got a good job, you stayed in that job as long as you could, you know, 40 years in that job in one company, and you got to retire with the gold watch and sail off into golf and, and cruises, right? And play with the grandkids. Well, that hasn't really helped. It hasn't really worked out that way. Uh, and what I realized is that in this 39% of the time thing, that I was reflecting through my career the reality of work today, which is that it's about fit, right? And in a changeable business culture, you've, you've got to fit. And if you're not going to fit, you've got to move on, right? It's much more of a freelance, uh, consultant-based, really, uh, uh, culture, right? And I say this to, my, to my, uh, my boomer clients as well as to the grad students that I work with in this grad program that I co-run, which is that you want to position yourself in your mind as a consultant delivering value to a client and you never want to think of yourself as an employee working under the supervision of a supervisor or manager. Right? Well, I would say a way, a way to look at that is, you know, someone that, that goes throughout maybe 20, 25 years in a career to the age of, of 50. I mean, look at if you were to identify, you know, the, their attributes, their skill set, their experience, whether it's management of people uh, or, you know, whether it's a technical skill. I mean, those are assets. I mean, those, those are, that's something that is valuable to so many people. Uh, and you're, you're right, this, this amazing transition from like, you know, the status quo, punch in, punch out philosophy when it comes to, you know, employment, completely changing. And, and it's changing daily. I mean, I, I have uh, dozens of, of uh, team, team members that work here but we've, we have about uh, 15 now that are remote, that are acting either as an, uh, as a, an, an employee remote uh, or as a consultant. 
And that's the thing. It's like, I think most people, if they realize that what they're building throughout their career was a set of assets, a set of things that are valuable to others, at some point they can use those assets on more on their terms, okay, to, to be, I would say, what I call it is more financial freedom, not retire, retirement. So, and that's what it sounds like you're, you're saying uh, something very similar. Right. I think it's what, I, what you're describing is what I call portfolio. You know, this, it's more of an artistic approach to your career where what you're doing is you're gaining various interrelated skills and experiences that are going to make you this unique value proposition to someone out there. And that, I think, is the way to look at career today as opposed to, as you say, punching in company loyalty, which, of course, is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so anyway you know, this all kind of the wake up call really occurred for me around 2012. And I had this really unusual opportunity. I was, I was asked to deliver a TEDx talk and the topic of the day was transformation. And I had keynoted for these people before there's the Long Beach Community Foundation. And I said, so do you want me to talk about the transformation that has occurred in the entertainment business? Because of course, entertainment is all gone digital and distribution is disrupted and mm-hmm. the rise of streaming services versus studios. And they said, well, that's nice, but you can talk about whatever you want. And I'm not quite sure, still not quite sure why I chose this topic, but I think I had been reading up about how boomers, uh, older career people had been marginalized uh, in the recession, lost 30 to 50% of their retirement savings, similar uh, reduction in the value of their homes, many people underwater, and having a really difficult time recovering. And I thought, okay, what's the message here? We're, 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 we're being downsized in our 50s. We don't have enough money to retire. We're kind of caught short here. There are a few job prospects. The, the business culture expects us to just somehow magically move over and get out of the way. How are we going to stay solvent? And dipping into my experience in my own tempestuous career, turning myself around and turning setbacks into successes. And the uh, skills that I learned in my psychology degree, I thought, okay, there's a methodology here. So I put together this five-step career reinvention methodology. And I had, as you said at the beginning, there's not a lot of material around about this. There are a number of really great books about people who have reinvented their careers uh, case studies, very inspiring material. Uh, Jane Pauley wrote a great one called Your Life Calling. Mm-hmm. Really made an impression upon me. Uh, Carrie Hannon, who's since become a colleague and a friend, uh, who's AARP's top jobs person, has written a couple books on this. Uh, but there's very little about the methodology, how you do it. How do you apply it? So I thought, let me make this a really practical solution. So there's this five-step methodology that I talk about in my TEDx. And I thought after a certain amount of time, people were saying to me, what are you going to do with this? And I thought, well, maybe there's an opportunity. And then people started approaching me about coaching. So I started coaching clients on this. And then uh, about a year ago, just a year ago, uh, I published my book, Boomer Reinvention, How to Create Your Dream Career Over 50, which deepens this five-step approach with 23 strategies, specific strategies spread over those five steps to really give people a smorgasbord of choices in how they can actually today go about starting to empower themselves 
to make the career transition. Now that, all right, so I, I ask you this question because I would say, you know, it, th- your, your theory is disruptive. Now it's talked about with, uh, with others, of course, but if you look at someone that hasn't necessarily read a book or understood what you're trying to get across to them, and you're basically saying, listen, like you're not going to be able to retire. Number one, like it's this anti-life principle, right? Where it's, you know, basically if you stop working, like that's not natural for human beings. We're meant to take who we are and be of value to other, to other people. That's just naturally ingrained in us. So you're removing that from your life. Okay, but then, you know, second, from a financial standpoint, okay, there's inflation, um, there's taxes, there's uncertainty regarding Medicare and Social Security, you know, there's still this perpetuating, uh, you know, idea of, you know, 4% rule, which has been proven by a lot of analysts, and you have a whole, you know, big, huge group of, you know, baby boomers that are, the tidal wave is like, you know, staring us in the staring us in the face and it hasn't really even hit yet. I think the, I think the, the uh, youngest baby boomer is, is still in their fifties, right? And so it's this idea that like, it's a difficult pill to swallow. So talk about, you know, how, how you go about saying, listen, this is probably not very likely, we're gonna have to do something about it. And then, you know, what's the response? It's interesting that you characterize my work as disruptive. I, I think of it the reverse way. I, I think that the system that we have been uh, living under, deluding ourselves under is disruptive because what you're pointing out is really true that human beings want to work. They want to be engaged. They want to be useful. And that, that concept I think is really key to my methodology and What's disruptive is this idea of, of stopping and somehow going off into a corner with other old people and waiting to die. Uh, that just hastens death. It doesn't really support life. And mm-hmm. I, I, let me digress for a second because there, there was a kind of a, a flashpoint for me about 10 years ago before I even got into any of this. I was, I was up late channel surfing and I and I came across a Oprah rerun hmm. and she was on with Maya Angelou and Maya Angelou had just turned 80 and my and Oprah says to her so what's it like to be 80 and Maya Angelou gets this amazing expression on her face this expression of awe and wonder and she kind of leans forward in her chair and she reaches out to the audience she says oh being 80 is the most wonderful experience I've ever had in my life she said I thought my 70s were great being 80 is so fantastic. I wish all of you will live to be 80 because you have so much to look forward to. And I thought, oh, wow, I want that, right? I mean, who says that, right? Who talks about aging in such glowing terms? We're such a youth-oriented culture. You know, we have, we have endemic ageism perpetuated throughout our businesses. If you are over 50, you can't get an interview for a corporate job in this country, mm-hmm. right? So I think what I'm doing is trying to restore the natural order, which is also psychologically part of the deal of getting older. You want to be more engaged. You want to find meaning and purpose to your life. You don't want to go away. You want to reach out and mentor people and share your wisdom. And the joy that you get out of this is immeasurable. So 
why stop now? Well, here's, so here's the, here's the thing is the reason why I call it disruptive is because I, I would say the majority of those that have been, you know, at, in their career for 20, 25 years, there's this hope of getting out because they don't necessarily like either what they do or the environment in which they do it and that, or maybe the hours or, but they don't necessarily realize, right. That there is this world of consulting that the employment, uh, you know, evolution is incorporating still a lot of offshore. I mean, we have, I have a couple of developers that are, that are in the Philippines and they're amazing and they do better work than those we had here. And they're a third of, of I mean, and you have also business consulting, corporate consulting, culture consulting, marketing consulting. There's so much out there that I would say younger companies are just hungry and thirsty and dying for that could be provided. But yet it's this, and that's why I said disruptive is because I would say there's this disconnect between why a person wants to stop doing what they're doing. It's not because they're not providing value. It's because, you know, it's too much. Uh, too many hours. It's, um, you know, the environment is, is hostile uh, or there, it might be something that they don't necessarily like, like doing. So that's kind of what I meant by the, the disruption comment. And I think in that sense, you're correct. I think this is disruptive to a lot of the business culture that we're living with today. And the yep. idea that you keep people on, right. Um, there's a, there's a practice which is starting to gain traction, but slowly called phased retirement where instead of just showing someone the door at age 62, 64, 67, you retain them, uh, perhaps on half time, you start focusing them on knowledge transfer, succession planning, mentoring, uh, and providing the wisdom of their experience so that that doesn't doesn't walk out the door. Uh, Society for Human Resource Management, um, uh, SHRM, uh, has done repeatedly a study, I have an ongoing study about this, about the willingness of companies to retain and take advantage of the value that older workers provide. And sadly, this is a slow starter. I believe that the economy is going to compel companies to consider and retain workers mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, because in a disruptive economy overall, you need all hands on deck, right? You need the ideas and the energy of youth. You need the wisdom and the perspective of age to work together seamlessly to solve the problems of tomorrow. Number two, you can't expect the entitlements, the infrastructure that we have in this country to support 76 million boomers retiring between now and December 31st, 2029, which is when the last boomer turned 65. It's just not going to happen. You know, we need to, to really do something about extending the employment opportunities for people. Um, and, you know, regardless of what you, what you call the retirement age itself and what you legislate as the retirement age, the fact is, and this is a whole other conversation, that poorer people uh, have, a, uh, have worse health, you know, have uh, uh, less ability to work uh, at advanced ages than uh, more middle-class people. Mm-hmm. So we've got lots of social problems around this, around the idea of, okay, well, everyone's going to retire at 70 or 75. Well, that's not going to work either, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very nuanced problem. I'm just trying to focus on 
people who are looking at their lives and saying, I want to keep working. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to either stay in my current job, recover from having been fired for, I'm not sure what reason, from a job I've had for 20 years and, and, and being pulled out of a culture and a community that are my friends and my family, um, people are devastated by this dilemma. And I'm here to say there's a way forward. There's a way you can change your mindset about yourself. There's a way you can open up to new ideas. There's a way that you can leverage and distill the value that you provide and communicate it in a, uh, in a compelling, attractive narrative that people are going to notice. And that instead of sending 100 resumes out to job openings that you see online and expecting a callback, which you're not going to get, Nope. Right. You use your network. You use your network. How to find your tribe online and in real life, in person, in networking events, and begin to piece together what someone called the other day. I I, I love it. A lattice network, not a vertical network, but a lattice network. A lattice. I really like of connections to land in a second act career. Well, and that's, I would also say kind of how I, as I articulate it is I consider relationships a huge uh, asset that you, that you have. Uh, and one, so, so one of the things for the, you know, 2018 that we decided to do is use uh, the, the John Locke, the philosopher John Locke's quote of life, liberty, and property. And we're breaking it into three seasons. The first season is life. And what we're considering life is that, you know, you're your greatest asset uh, and your relationships and your network isn't very far behind, and so that's why I wanted to have you have you on because you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right on everything that you're you're saying. And I look at you know all the other issues that exist, and there are there are social issues. You have you know a completely underfunded pension system, a completely underfunded you know Medicare and Social Security system. I mean, who knows what's gonna what's gonna happen? There has to be some major overhaul at at some point because it's just not financially feasible. Um, in, in the in the least, but we won't get off on that on that tangent. But the idea is that you know, and I'll use I'll use a, a, one of my consultants as an example. I was actually on the phone with her yesterday, and she just did her she just did her hair, um, and that's why I commented. I said, Elizabeth, your hair's uh, you know really really nice, and she's like, you know, I used to be losing a lot of hair until you know about a year ago when she uh, resigned a an executive position at Team uh, where she had a you know, billion and a half dollar budget. Uh, hundreds of employees, and she never really identified that her skill set was an asset. Uh, and she's recently, her and her husband um, have uh, resigned their positions, and she consults now. But the consulting came from what you just identified, which is your network. So I love, I love the idea of you know of kind of building that into this this phased this phased approach. Uh, but why don't you may, maybe give us some examples? You know, I mean, Elizabeth, the, the one I just mentioned, uh, was one, and she can like some of the stuff that she has. I'm like Elizabeth, you don't you don't realize like how powerful like this like PowerPoint deck is as far as how it describes this and how it does this. And I would say, oftentimes, people take for granted um, their experience, what what they know. Uh, and, and how it might be valuable to you know the out the outside the outside world. But maybe give us some examples of, of some of those people you've worked with that have made made the transition. I think that would be really really compelling for the discussion. Absolutely. I think the interesting thing about this work is that I find that everyone's got their own inflection point. 
you know, that, that moment where they, they realize that there is a way forward and it's not the way they thought. So um, I profile seven people in the book. One of them is a guy named John Pugliano, uh, actually lives in Salt Lake, who was a uh, industrial products salesman, successful for uh, his entire career, uh, had a technical background, was in the um, armed forces, uh, kind of came out, was recruited by a big chemical company, moved into paper products and did that for the bulk of his career and never liked being a salesman. He had a big family, needed to support them. Uh, but the accommodation that he made was that he would, he would fly right and keep his nose clean and do his work. And he was fortunate enough to work with some people who supported him and were, were, you know, were, were good uh, bosses. But he was always trading, day trading on the side. And he built up probably about a seven early, you know, low seven figure million plus dollar nest egg. Uh, from his day trading over the course of maybe 15 years. And then he got fired. He was, I think, in his early 50s, got fired. He saw it coming. He knew it was going to happen. Company was bleeding money. Um, He knew that sooner or later, he was the guy in the meetings who was always, you know, a bit of a barb. And and so, (laughs) sure enough, the day came and, and and they fired him. And he... Had have, he'd been having these conversations with his wife about what he should do. And she kept saying to him, look, you're, you, you hate the sales business. Uh, don't get another job. Become a financial advisor. You know, you've done great for the family. Why don't you just do this professionally? And he said, oh, I can't do that. You know, and he had all sorts of reasons why he couldn't do it. Um, uh, he, he wouldn't be able to get certified. He didn't want to work for a brokerage. He didn't you know, like the financial people that he had met. He found they were too corporate. Da, 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 da. And she insisted that he look into this. And sure enough, he figured out a way to study up and get his own certification as a financial advisor and got himself registered. And But even as he was doing this, he was interviewing with other companies because he kind of felt that, well, you know, maybe he should, he should get a corporate job and kind of keep doing the work that he'd been doing and the way he had been doing it. But every time he would interview, he would get this kind of cold sweat and this, this kind of horrific feeling about, about going back to work for a corporate uh, concern. And he wound up launching his uh, advisory. Um, and uh, he, it's about, he's, I think it's about, he's about three years into it now, three or four years into it, and he's doing phenomenally well and has never looked back. Uh, but it was about reframing that mindset, right? And I think that is, that is one key factor that everyone has to go through. And the clients that I work with, you know, this is the first step in my book, and it's the first step that I work on with clients is to really look at your limiting beliefs about who you are, what you bring to the table, and what opportunities there are out there for you. And that's, and I would say that's the, it, that's one of those things that's easy to say, but it's very difficult to do because it's a, it's a psychological paradigm that has been around for probably decades and suddenly shifting and is hard. I mean, that's, we had our, our little stand-up this morning um, and we, we had a, uh, it went way longer because we had a really good discussion on the uh, the importance of words and, and their meaning, what we think they mean and what we're trying to convey. And if those words 
uh, you know, they, they align. And that's the thing is the more we tell ourselves something, the more it becomes uh, a reality. And that's a big thing as far as the big pill to swallow is that, you know, retirement isn't natural. Uh, that, you know, there is a possibility where your skill set is valuable outside of the framework in which you're employed right now. Right. Uh, and you can't think that, and there's probably some exceptions, but if you're paid for something, it, it's proof that you're valuable, right? That's the purpose of money. Money represents value. That's it. And if you've built that over the years, that's why your employer pays you is because you bring that value uh, to the marketplace. But having the, the shift of what the marketplace means, right? And then how your services or, or our assets will be valuable, you know, in it. That's another thing that people just have, you know, the, the doubt concerning it. But yeah, your example is perfect because a lot of industries are going independent uh, and they're not in this big corporate stru- uh, structure. Uh, and that's what, you know, that's what we are. We're in, independent. We're independent on every front. I don't want a, a corporate person, you know, telling me what to do. I may need to like, you know, edit that out of the, the podcast. Um, just kidding. Uh, but that's the idea. That's the idea of like these independents and a lot of financial uh, services companies are, are going there. But I look at just the other segments of the, of, of the economy and they're going there too. It's just, it's really, it's really cool to, to see. But as you were talking, I was thinking about um, the, uh, that one, the movie with Robert De Niro. Oh, the intern. The intern. The intern. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, you probably watched that and like all these, like, you yeah. know, all, your, the, the hair on your neck was probably standing up because obviously it aligns perfectly with what we've been saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you are talking about words, you know, in your, uh, in your, uh, in your meeting, because this, I think is another obstacle uh, that people have about understanding how to express the value that they represent. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important aspects of, I think, a career reinvention today is the proper use of LinkedIn and how if, if the network is going to get you the connections and get you the traction, then your LinkedIn profile, I, I feel like I'm this, this shill for LinkedIn, but, I, but it really is the one place where you can represent yourself with total control and the LinkedIn profile is one of the most underused, underexploited tools that career seekers have, particularly over 50, uh, when they have a lot to talk about and they have uh, challenges around being able to do that. So I think you got to look at that summary, those 2000 characters. And if I've got, if I can kind of do a little plug here for your listeners, um, you got to look at that summary as a narrative expression of where you want to go, not what you've done. That's what that whole experience section is for, which is like the resume section. The summary is the vision statement. Summary is all of the values that you stand for and the observations and the wisdom that you have about the, business that you're in and the statement of forward looking achievement that you want to make. Have you, do you know, you know, do you know who Cameron Harold is? No. So Cameron Harold, he was the COO. He, he runs the COO Alliance and he also, uh, he was a COO of 1-800, uh, got, got junk. He's written uh, meeting suck is one of his books. <laughs> very, very forward. Yeah. Yeah. He's really, really nice. He's a Canadian, really, really cool guy. Um, but 
you know, he, he's basically, you know, I identified uh, this whole idea of, of vision, right? And he's, I think he's writing a book called the vivid, the vivid vision. And I followed it for, for our, our company, but that it's, it's powerful because most people never do that for their life, right? Or their, their position. They see it as part of like their, you know, what their executives did. But that, most of that crap is like meaningless. I mean, look at Wells Fargo. If you were to read like Wells Fargo's vision and their mission and their values, right. it's like the complete opposite of like how they behave. <laughs> how they practice. Right? So it's like, you know, so the idea of like a vision statement, I would say is somewhat cliche. But at the same time, if you look at it, how it applies to you and what you want, it thinking through that and really, you know, maybe doing some things, as you mentioned, in advance, help kind of prepare you for the right state of mind to look forward to the future. And I think most people are going to realize like, wow, like sitting around with grandkids, right, and playing golf is going to freaking suck. Because and I think, you know, most people wouldn't describe it as such. But, but I would say, you know, they, they're no longer valuable to society. That, that made, they're not going to articulate it like that. But that is absolutely true. And it's one of those things where at 50, like 50 is like the new 30, I would say, because of just the vitality, uh, you know, mentality that, for lack of a better way to explain it, in, in our societies, like people want to be healthy, they want to eat well, they want to have energy. And, you know, they're going to be in this point where, you know, they have so much of that, but it's going, if it's not used, if it's not exercised, you know, with things that are valuable to others, like that people feel that, like they they, they realize, I mean, probably after the fact, and they're just not able to articulate it that way. But I would say, you know, putting the framework as you have really allows people to understand, wow, this is like a second life for me. This is a, you know, it is the reinvention, but it's like a second life. And it's, and it's a life where it's not going to have as much pain. It's going to have so much more pleasure because you can provide value, provide services on your terms, right? If you're doing it from a consulting standpoint, Okay. But you also can mix in the other aspects of life, the stuff with the grandkids, the vacations, the travel, the golf. It's not going to be the same dynamic, but yet you still retain, you know, the ability to be valuable to other, other, other people, right? Instead of taking value, which is most, most people in, in retirement. I, I don't think we should sugarcoat it, though. Uh, and I, I think it is challenging. I think that there are, I think there are a lot of obstacles for people, both internal obstacles and external obstacles to maintaining a career past 50. I think that the, the, the world is changing and I'm, I, I clip and curate uh, articles two, three times a week on my social media outlets around all of these issues. And I'm starting to see some positive signs that companies are beginning to recognize the value of retaining older workers. But it is still a challenge um, and I, I appreciate what you're saying about, about the, the ageful qualities of getting older today. I, I would say that 50 is the new 50. I, I think we've, we've never really been here before. And uh, as you suggest, this is a, this is a second act. Uh, we never used to have this period. It was like one job and you retired. And now because people are transitioning at this later age, and all of that meaning and purpose quotient goes along with it, I think it's a different proposition. At a time, interestingly, where, and what you describe in terms of lifestyle and work style, working remotely, work-life balance, you know, Tim Ferriss and the four-hour work week kind of kicked this off about 10 years ago, looking at how technology helps us leverage 
uh, our uh, ability to deliver value versus time. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, I think, an important lesson that I'm trying to impart to older workers who are still locked into this idea of working a 40-hour week and punching a clock and that the, they should be paid for that. And I'm saying, no, you shouldn't. You should be paid for the, the real value that you deliver. And you've got to figure out how to qualify that and quantify that and really turn yourself into a product in a way Mm-hmm. offering a specific solution in a specific niche. You never want to walk in and say, I can do anything. What do you got? Because no one wants to hear that. So where so do you, where do you, you even start, start with consulting? consulting? I mean, you talked talk about, about the whole phase approach, approach, but I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's not once a person has left their career. I'm assuming that it's, it's maybe like in the maybe in the interim, or maybe they're you know thinking about it. Is that to, why don't you maybe talk about you know where most of your clients are right now, uh, and then maybe some of the first things that you could do to to kind of move them into this this uh, paradigm. It's interesting. I I I prefer to work with people who are who are still in a job or still have a business. I'm I'm working. I've got two groups of clients and some individual clients I'm seeing right now, they're all over the map in terms of age. I mean, I'm working with uh, a man who is, uh, who is young, who's 37. Mm-hmm. I'm working with another guy who's 45. And the reason I'm working with them and they came to me is that they're saying, look, I know you talk about working with older people, but I'm staring down the road at the next 10, 20 years of my career. I don't want to wake up at 55 and, and be, and be done and, and have that, incredible uphill climb that I'm seeing other people have to endure. So I want to start early. And I love that. I think that's really proactive Mm -hmm. because it really is figuring out at any age, whether you're 35, 45, 55, 65, what is the sustainable, personal, unique value that I provide, that I want to provide, that I can get up and do every day with a smile on my face and sustain that for the next 20, 30 years of my life? That's really the question. And unfortunately, some people that I work with are, are uh, out of work. Uh, they've, they've been out of work for some time. You know, they come to me after having knocked their heads against the wall for six months, trying to get job interviews and being turned down. Uh, or making it through the spanking machine to, you know, the top three candidates and getting turned down. Um, Those are challenging situations because these are people who need to put bread on the table right away uh, and also plan for a longer term career. So that's a challenging situation. But, um, you know, I've fortunately... Uh, been pretty successful at uh, helping people turn their careers around and get back to work. Um, and interestingly, the the statistics are in my favor. It's not so much I think that that I'm particularly good at what I do, although I, I think I'm pretty good at what I do. Um, but 80% of people, and they've, they've done surveys on this, 80% of people who are facing a career challenge in their midlife, uh, 40s, 50s, uh, into their 60s, 80% of those people are able to turn around and succeed and be happy with the choices that they've made to get out. So it's possible. So it sounds like the scope of people that you work with is pretty, uh, is pretty broad. 
Uh, and so, so maybe, maybe talk about as we kind of wrap, wrap things up, because uh, we could probably go on, on all day, but I would say, <laughs> I would say the scope of, you know, the scope of services. It sounded like you do some one-on-one consulting. Obviously, you have your book. But what are some other ways in which people can learn more about you and learn about your, your uh, perspective on things and, and uh, what you're doing and possibly how to connect with you? Sure. Well, it all starts on the website, johntarnoff.com. And you can uh, just, you can Google me and all the social media will come up as well, but get on my list. Uh, and uh, there's, a, there's a guide to the five steps and 23 strategies that will, that will pop into your uh, uh, mailbox. And, uh, you know, think about, uh, uh, about coaching. If you're in a situation where you're looking to uh, plan the next 20, 30 years of your career, and you're either feeling that you're, in danger of of downsize of being downsized in your position, uh, or you feel, and I've 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 worked with clients in this arena as well, that you want to reinvent your career in your current company. Uh, if you feel like you've kind of gotten to the end of your rope and you're either not being appreciated or you're being kind of uh, you know shunted aside, there's a way potentially to reinvent yourself uh, right in that job. Mm-hmm. So lots of different possibilities there. And, you know, if, if you want to kind of follow along with, with, with John here, I'm, I'm, I'm available. I'm at the other end of a email message. Um, and I'm learning all the time about what people are undergoing at this stage. So uh, the more input I get from people who might be listening to this uh, podcast, the better. And I'd love to hear the success stories as well. I love to hear about people who have turned their careers around. Uh, I'm happy to uh, to share that out to my community. Well, we have a lot of those. We have a lot of those cases, and uh, we I've talked before on the on the show. Part of a a network called the Prosperity Economics Movement, and they're basically advisors that are that are kind of bucking the status quo as far as retirement. And, they, and this that's how I heard about you initially. Um, is through well, a, a recommendation from someone. That you and you know, it's one of those one of those things where. Like it's, it's evident to us and it's becoming more evident to others. When Ferris a number, number of years ago okay, with his first book, like that, he started to recognize it uh, there. And I think all those books that have succeeded, you know, say, say ultimately the same thing. And it's one of those things where I think that's part of, it's part of life is to you know, discover that, you know, there is something that you can provide to the world. And it's not, you know, this like snapshot in time. It's this ongoing thing. And that's why... You know, people at all ages can, can learn and they can grow and they can adapt and they can be more valuable. There's, it's, it's uh, I don't know if you, you're probably familiar with Simon, Simon Sink, but I love his whole like infinite game conversation really where it's, you're not, you're not in the finite game where there's an end game, right? You're in the infinite game because that's kind of humanity, right? The infinite game is one of these things where it's like your, your purpose and your, you know, the connection between who you are and what you provide to other people, like that connection like should never end <laughs> until, until you pass away. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, it really is. Uh, and this, I think is something that you get as you get older, you get this, I, this realization that process is purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, well said. That's a great quote that we, I have to have you on again, because this is a topic that I think like so many people uh, need to hear. Um, and it could be for their parents. It could be for themselves. Selves, uh, but I think the, the, the evolving, you know, the evolving uh, kind of as far as 
work is concerned, the professional arena is changing so quickly. There's so, I mean, downtown Salt Lake, it's just, I'm not sure when's the last time you've been here, but it's unbelievable, like all of the building that's going on. There are apartments everywhere. When I moved here, there was hardly any. And now you have just young, you know, this thriving economy based on how many, you know, of these, uh, you know, millennials that are, you know, finding themselves in the workplace. And that right there is influencing huge changes when it comes to company culture, when it comes to business processes, uh, when it comes to leadership, or even like the physical structure of an office is completely, completely changing. And, you know, I, I think sometimes those, you know, many that have kind of are in this mentality of this is how things have been, this is what I've been taught, and, you know, are unwilling to maybe course correct. That's a, I can, I can see that there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety out there, but it's a good thing. I mean, this is just, this is life. This is what we do. This is what humans do. What we've always done. Talking about offices, I'll just like end with this kind of a grace note on this. I, I have this recommendation that, that you want to move people out of the corner offices and put them into the bullpens, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that's the destiny for a senior manager, right? Is to get back into the bullpen and provide the real on the ground value that mm-hmm. their experience can provide, as opposed to thinking that they need to maintain this quote unquote senior status. It's like, really for what? You know, you've done that. Now it's time to really um, seed the next generation and share all of the value that you provide and learn from the people in the bullpen, from the younger people coming up. Because there's a tremendous amount that I think we can learn at older ages from uh, younger people. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's man. That's, that's we can have a podcast on like that topic alone because there's this kind of built into you know Americanism, this hierarchical theory, right? Where it's kind of like you get a title and somehow like you're superior to other people and nobody else is valuable, right? And it's and it's so toxic. And I think that's kind of where those toxic environments come from. But in the end. Like you alienate, you get worse performance, you get people that are disengaged. I mean, we don't have to, to go kind of off on that tangent, but that is like, you're, you're totally right. All right, John, I, I'm sure you have better things to do. Let's definitely this again. Been an awesome, uh, awesome interview. I appreciate, uh, appreciate your time. I'll give you the final word. Oh, uh, you know, keep reinventing. Uh, people uh, ask me, it's like, uh, do you think you should be, uh, you know, thinking about this as a lifestyle, i say absolutely yes. You know, in a disruptive, changing society, we need to think of ourselves as career reinventors at every turn. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Okay. John, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us as the Wealth Standard Podcast spends all of 2018 celebrating life, liberty, and property. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll see you on the next one.